Thank you for listening to this message from Life in the Sun Christian Fellowship. We hope you'll be inspired to honor God and make disciples. Good morning, church. Endless questions. Who is supreme? That's a question in every generation. What do you think? That's the topic of today's message. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, would you reveal truth? Father, I pray that you would reveal truth that sets free, truth that restores, truth that lasts forever. Father, I pray that you would be honored as we look into your word, meditate on it. And God, I pray that you would make it alive in us. Would you work in and through us? We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, welcome to week two in our series on the book of Colossians. Uh, Like I did last week, I invite you to read along with us. Uh, Last week, we did just an introduction. Uh, We'll show you that up on the screen. And then in week two, uh, that's today, our topic is the supremacy of Jesus. In weeks three and four, we'll talk about what Jesus did for us. And then in five, six, and seven, therefore, How should we live for Jesus? Last week, we talked about the two Ps. We talked about the preeminence of Christ and the importance of prayer. The preeminence of Jesus and the importance of prayer. Today, we'll talk about the supremacy of Jesus. Overall, the goal of this series, by the end of it, we will have a greater understanding of the preeminence of the person of Christ and the completeness of the salvation he provides, resulting in lives centered on Christ and his mission. Colossians is a super rich letter to a group of believers living in Colossae. Last week I showed you a map. It's modern-day Turkey. On the west coast of Turkey was a little town called Colossae. There was a group of believers there that the Apostle Paul, he'd never actually met them. He had heard about them, and he wrote this letter to encourage them. And I invite all of you to read it as well. Um, As we go through this series, if you're using a Bible app, I encourage you to check out uh, the New Living Translation, the NLT. That's my favorite version of the Bible. And if you prefer to listen, uh, let your spouse read it to you. Or you can put in your headphones, just click on the little tab that says listen to the Bible, and you can listen to any version that you want. Sound good? As you're reading Colossians, I want to encourage you to meditate on it, even memorize portions of it that speak to you personally. Part of being transformed is by the renewing of our minds. Renew your mind by memorizing and meditating on the Word of God. Well, are you ready for the message? Okay. I have a question for you. How many of you saw the movie Heaven is for Real? Raise your hand. Okay, a good little number. Um, how about Miracles from Heaven? About the same number. There have been a number of recent movies about life after death, about heaven, and today we're going to hear from a man who also had an experience in heaven. I don't know how many of you know that, but the Apostle Paul actually had an experience where he was taken up into heaven. 
And I bring this to your attention because today's text includes astonishing claims about Jesus, amazing statements about the identity of Jesus. And when you're an interactive reader and you're reading these statements, an obvious question that you would ask is, how in the world would Paul know these things? How in the world would he know that this is true? And so I want you to consider his experience as we learn from Paul's letters. We know that the Lord appeared to him on two occasions. You can read in the book of Acts about his conversion experience. He was riding a horse. He was knocked down to the ground. There was a super bright light, brighter than the sun. And he said, who are you? And he said, I am Jesus. And when the light went away, the men that were with him were scared. They had heard something, but they didn't see anybody. Paul was blind in that moment. Um, He went on to uh, Damascus. Later, the Lord revealed to Ananias that uh, Paul was there, and he wanted him to go to a street called Straight and find him and pray for him. And Ananias argued, and he said, Lord, I heard about this man. I mean, this guy's bad news. I mean, nobody wants to be around him. He actually came with letters of authority from the Pharisees to take us out. And the Lord said, go. He said, I am using him as a tool to reach the Gentiles and kings and his fellow Israelites. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. I think the Lord added that in there to Ananias just to let him know (laughs) that Paul was going to have to experience some things himself in light of everything that he had done. And so Ananias went And it's interesting, he said, Brother Saul, he said, the Lord has sent me to pray for you, that you may regain your sight. And it says something like scales fell from his eyes. And he said he took in food. He had not eaten or taken any drink for three days. And he had taken in some food to regain his strength. And it says immediately he went into the synagogue and he he began to proclaim, Jesus is the Son of God. And people were amazed. They said, isn't this the guy that came to throw all the Christians in jail, and now he's preaching their message, they were just blown away. Then we read elsewhere in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. This is sometime after he experienced Jesus on the road to Damascus. He said, this is chapter 12, verses 2 to 4, I was caught up to the third heaven 14 years ago. Whether I was in my body or out of my body, I don't know. Only God knows. Yes, only God knows whether I was in my body or outside of my body. But I do know that I was caught up to paradise and heard things so astounding that they cannot be expressed in human words. Paul had experience in heaven. And so I want you to keep this in mind as we read what he says in Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 15. This is our text today. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else. He holds all creation together. Verse 18, Christ is also the head of the church, 
which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead, so he is first in everything. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. When my daughter was in kindergarten, she came home one day and she said, Dad, who made God? I thought, wow, that's an amazing question for a five-year-old. I later found out the teacher had been teaching them the Apostles' Creed, so it got her thinking. But she came home with this question. And I said, well, nobody made God. And she looked a little confused. And I said, the reason that God was not made by anybody, because whoever made God, then that person would be the creator. And so God has always existed. One of the definitions of what it means to be God is that you have an eternal past. You've always existed. And so that's, a defin- that's part of the definition of what it means to be God. And here's the amazing thing. Paul is saying this about Jesus. This is what Paul is saying about Jesus himself. In verse 15, it says, He existed before anything was created before anything. And so he has an eternal past. And so point one for today, Jesus is God. Jesus is God. Verse 15, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. And so there are some fine line distinctions to be made here. First of all, Jesus is not made in the image of God in the same way that humanity is made in the image of God. Jesus is the express image of God. Hebrews 1.3 says, The Son radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. And He sustains everything by the mighty power of His command. Since Jesus is God, He reflects all that God is. The Son is the exact image, not the derived image of God, but the exact image of God. He doesn't merely resemble God. He represents God. He has all the essence of deity. He is sovereign. He is eternal. He is all-knowing. And he is unchanging. He is God himself. Now, skeptics have argued that believers made up all this stuff after Jesus died. But you need to know that Jesus himself made this claim while he was on earth during his earthly ministry. John chapter 14, verses 8 and 9, Jesus said to Philip, I mean, sorry, Philip said to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. And Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? So point number one, Jesus is God. Point number two, Jesus is omnipotent, meaning Jesus is all-powerful. Verse 17, he says, Paul says, Jesus holds all creation together. He holds all creation together. Now, I'd like us to consider the literal meaning of that statement. He holds everything together. Consider the literal meaning. And to help us understand the need for everything to be held together, and to help us understand uh, what it takes to hold the universe together, I'd like you to consider the basic building block of matter. 
Who knows what that is? Uh, somebody said carbon. And carbon is an example of what? It's an atom. Atoms are the basic building block of the universe. So I want to put an illustration up here on the screen for us. Here's a model of an atom. In the center, it's called the nucleus. And let's just say the little red particles are called protons, and the blue ones are called neutrons. And the red ones, the protons, they have a positive charge. And the blue ones, the neutrons, have a neutral charge. And then orbiting around the nucleus are electrons, very, very tiny particles moving at the speed of light. This is happening in every atom, in everything, all through the universe. Now, have you ever, I, I brought a sample here. This is a set of magnets. These are little tiny magnets. They're just kind of the size of a disc, maybe the size of a quarter. And I got 18 of them here, and I put them together, and you can kind of break the row apart. But if you flip one side around so that both the positive poles are facing each other, and you try to push them together, what happens when two particles of like charge come together? What happens? You resist. I can, hardly, I, can't, I can hardly put it together. And so the protons in the middle of the nucleus, the little red objects, they have positive charges. They resist each other. So the question is, why are they still together? What's holding them together? Uh, if you don't know this verse and, uh, and you're studying this, uh, in the field of science, it's called the strong force. They really don't know what it is. They know there is a force holding it together, but they don't know what it is. It's called the strong force. Now, just to give you an idea of how much force it takes to hold the nucleus of an atom together, if you get a large atom like uranium, I think it has like 92 of those positively charged particles in the middle, and you were to split that and release the energy that's holding it together, what you get is a nuclear explosion. That's how much energy is released in the force that holds the nucleus together. Now imagine how much energy it takes to hold every single atom in the universe and all that together. The point being, Jesus is omnipotent. He's all-powerful. He holds everything together. We can't even begin to fathom how much power that is. Jesus is omnipotent. We can go to the next slide. Point number three, Jesus is divine. Verses 18 and 19, Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. And so he is first in everything. Verse 19, for God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. Jesus is divine. Putting all of this together, we're really talking about the supremacy of Jesus. The born supremacy is a misnomer. Do you know the definition of supremacy? Supremacy is the state or condition of being superior to all others in authority, in power, and in status. Now, there is only one person who fits that description. Now, let me give you an example of supremacy. I got a couple questions for you. How many of you watched the Olympics? Raise your hand. 
You watch some events in the Olympics. Okay, little Bible trivia. Anybody know who has the record for winning the most gold medals in their lifetime? Michael Phelps. How many medals? Somebody said 28 total, including silver and bronze, but how many gold? 23. And who is in second place? Some guy from a long time ago. Let's put up the next screen. This is it. This is the medal count. If you can read it, Michael Phelps on top with 23. And interestingly, second place is a four-way tie. Four people who all have nine gold medals going all the way back as far as 1956. You might recognize some of the other names. Uh, the athletes from America, Mark Spitz. He was ama- we thought that was amazing when Mark Spitz hit the water. Uh, Phelps just blew that record out of the water. And then Carl Lewis, one of the greatest runners who, have ever, who has ever lived. Amazing runner. He was a sprinter. Picture perfect runner. Here's the point. Nobody even comes close to Michael Phelps. In the same way, nobody even comes close to Jesus Christ. Not Jason Bourne, not Superman, not even Satan comes even close to the power and the supremacy of Jesus Christ. Amen? Mm. As great as Superman is, at least in our imagination. <laughs> Even he has a, weak, has a weakness, kryptonite. You know, in the 1978 version of Superman, Lois Lane is falling from a building, and Superman flies into the air, and he catches her, and he says, I got you. And she looks at him, and she says, you got me? Who's got you? <laughs> when you're in Christ, God has got you. You don't need anybody else. Verse 18 says, Jesus is the head of the church. He's our father. He's the head of the church. God's got you, and he uses all things to work together for good. He uses all, even if it looks really, really bad. Remember the story of Joseph? I mean, if you, did, if you did not read to the end of the story, you would think, man, there is so much injustice in this one man's life. He got betrayed by his own family, his brothers, of all people. Then he got sold into slavery. Then he got wrongly accused and thrown into prison. And then he got forgotten by the guys he helped get out of prison. And it was like, there's so much injustice. But when you read to the end of the story, you realize, ah, all along, God was setting up the circumstance to do something much greater than anybody had in mind. In the same way, You are going through some things right now. We're all going through some things right now. And sometimes we wonder, God, where are you? You know, I'm sure Joseph asked that question. What is going on? And yet, just remember, it's not over until it's over. The end of the story is coming, and we know God's promise that he's sovereign, he's all-powerful, he's supreme, and he uses everything to work together for good. And that's not only true of Joseph, that's true for you too. In summary, Jesus is God, Jesus is omnipotent, and Jesus is divine. And you will be amazed at what he has done for you, 
and what he has in store for you. And that's going to be our message next week. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. If you would bow your heads. Father, thank you for your people here today. Lord, thank you for your word, this amazing revelation of your son Jesus. Lord, we had no idea how great Jesus is. And Father, I ask that you would transform us by the renewing of our minds and give us that great confidence in Jesus and in his kingdom. I pray, God, that as we understand who you are, Lord, that we will not be shaken. Lord, that we will stand firm and that we will grow in confidence in you and your kingdom. Father, help us not to throw away our confidence. Lord, help us to be able to face the circumstances of life with boldness and with courage and with trust that you are present, that you are able, and that you are willing. And so, Lord, for each person here, God, I ask that you would apply this to their life in a way that's real and personal. And so if you would take a moment just to do some business with God, if you would just keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I want to invite you just to ask yourself this question, Lord, what are you saying to me? Lord, what are you saying to me? We're just going to take our time. And I want to give you a chance, whatever it is that you sense God is saying, I want to give you some time to respond. To respond in faith. Father, thank you for what you're revealing. Thank you for what you're doing. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would seal it. Lord, I pray that you would enable each person to take steps of faith, to trust you. And if you would keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed, there may be some in this room today, as you're hearing me talk about experiencing God, that that is something that you've been looking for. In fact, you've been sensing that God has been getting your attention recently. In fact, that's why you're here today. You're here because you're seeking and you're wanting to experience him. And if you've never made a formal choice, if you've never made a conscious decision to open up to him and say, God, I want to experience you. I want you to come into my life. Then I want to give you an opportunity to do that today. You're just going to express your decision. We call it prayer. What I'll do is pray out loud and you can just hitchhike on my words. God will hear you. Okay, let's pray. God, I stand before you today and I'm saying yes. I say yes to you, God. I open my life up to you and I invite you to come in and be a part of me. Allow me to be a part of you. Lord, I recognize that I need you. The way things have been going are not working out so well. And God, I ask that you would show me a new way 
of living the way you intended life to be from the beginning. And so I open up my mind and my heart and I ask you, Jesus, by your spirit to come and dwell within me. Father, I thank you for Jesus and what he's done on the cross and I receive your forgiveness. I open up my heart and ask you to forgive me and cleanse me from everything that is not of you. I want you to invite you just for a moment now just to receive his spirit and to receive his cleansing into your heart. Father, as each person is making this choice, Lord, would you cleanse any darkness, guilt, condemnation, shame, accusation from the enemy. Lord, like a flood, I pray for your Holy Spirit to come in and fill them with light and wash them clean as white as snow and give them a new start. Father, I thank you for coming into my life. I ask that you would reveal yourself to me and show me the way. I ask in Jesus' name, amen.